Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, this week, we'll be revisiting a special series from Dr. Newfeld called Great Men and Women of Faith. Today, let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 37 to 50, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Joseph, Forgiveness and Reconciliation. During this week, I want to explore some incidents in the lives of five individuals and learn their stories of faith. They will be Joseph, Moses, Esther, Hezekiah, and Mary. The lesson from Joseph, forgiveness with the potential of reconciliation. From Moses, we'll learn not to despise God's detours. From Esther, we're going to learn the value of courage and purpose even after we may have lived a life of compromise. From Hezekiah, we will learn the value of developing confidence in God, even when all the external markers tell us to panic and despair. And from Mary, we'll learn to rest in the plan which God has chosen for us. From each of these great men and women, we will learn a lesson that arises out of faith. So let's enjoy men and women who have gone before us and whose lives have so much to teach us. Let's start with Joseph. His life's a story of dramatic reversals, overwhelming disappointments, betrayals, and events that would have left many people embittered. You know, if you've ever been wounded by someone who should never have wounded you, listen up. The way this man dealt with wounds is a blueprint for dealing with wicked people, especially when those wicked people are your friends and even your family. But before we talk about Joseph, I think it's essential to discuss a very important distinction. When you read the story of Joseph, we should keep in mind the very real difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Let me explain. When it comes to forgiveness, our Lord Jesus offers us with no options. Forgiveness is demanded of us, and it is assumed of all of his followers. When it comes to reconciliation, the matter is more complicated. But once we have forgiven, well, I know we should remain wise in dealing with those who've harmed us, and yet we should commit ourselves not to close the door should God bring our oppressor to the point of repentance and the opportunity for reconciliation. So let's begin by opening our Bible to Genesis 37. What's so remarkable about Joseph is that he had been deeply wounded first by family and then by others. He was a man whose life was ruined by others. And his life is an example of both forgiveness and then, after that, an example of reconciliation. But before we begin to read his story, let's address a vital issue. While forgiveness does not necessarily lead to reconciliation, even so, establishing forgiveness as a principle in our hearts is essential. Why is that? Well, let me give three easy reasons. First, forgiveness is vital to psychological health. And second, forgiveness is an important factor in our physical health. And third, forgiveness is essential to spiritual health. Listen to what Jesus taught in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Kind of shakes you up, doesn't it? If you are harboring bitterness, if I am, well, then our souls are in peril. So please notice how I've arranged this. Forgiveness is vital to psychological health. It's a factor in physical health, but it is essential to our spiritual health. So let's get to Joseph. I'm reading Genesis 37, verse 2. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. 
He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. So just in case you don't know the story, Jacob's dad had two wives and two concubines. Concubines were second-class wives. Two of the wives knew that they were second-class. How do you think that made relationships at home? Also, one of his wives was his favorite, and Joseph was the product of that favorite wife. So I think it's fair to say that Joseph was born into a highly dysfunctional family, and that family was just waiting to explode. Now then, the rest of the family came from the three other women. Two of his brothers, Simeon and Levi, well, they were murderers. They murdered an entire village because one man in that village had raped their sister. Another brother, Judah, was known to frequent prostitutes. And that's just for starters. And by the way, if you think your family determines your spiritual future, think again. God can determine your spiritual future. I'm reading chapter 37, verses 3 to 8. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream I have dreamt. Behold, we were binding sheaves in a field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Think of it. Our kid brother, dad's favorite, the sucky one, is going to rule over us and hopes to be treated like royalty. Then one day, Joseph was asked by his fathers to go check up on his brothers. And remember, he has done it before and brought a bad report. And when his brothers saw him coming, their hatred simply spilled over. Let's kill him. We finally have him. But Reuben, the oldest, argued that they let him live. And so they threw him into an empty cistern while they argued with each other as to what to do with him. Finally, a group of slave traders came by and they sold him to them. And now what would they tell their father? Well, Genesis 37, verses 31 to 35. Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. In fact, Jacob grieved deeply and kept on grieving almost right until the end of his life. The brothers watched all joy leave his life, watched unceasing sorrow enter, and they never said a thing. Talk about a dysfunctional family with secrets. These guys are the poster kids for that. Genesis 37 verse 36 says, Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him to Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. You know, if anyone had a right to be bitter, it was Joseph threatened with his life, robbed of his inheritance, and sold as a slave. But that was only the beginning of his sorrows. This was merely test number one. Test number two, at first, doesn't look like a test at all. Joseph is sold to Potiphar, an Egyptian officer, the captain of the garden. So I'm reading now Genesis 39, verses 4 to 6. 
So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. You know, I once heard a very famous pastor say that when he looked for hiring pastors, he looked for people who could handle discouragement. And Joseph seems to have passed that test with the blessing of God. And then comes the betrayal. I'm reading Genesis 39, verses 6b to 7. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He has no greater in this than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You know, Joseph now becomes a convicted sex offender put in prison because of the offended vanity of an immoral, cruel, and callous woman. You know, some time ago, I had the arduous duty of trying to reconcile two brothers who had been in an ongoing quarrel. One of the two showed up with several three-ringed binders in which he had recorded what the other brother had said and the date in which he had said it with cross-references to the contradictions to the statements that he had made at other times and then appropriately damning scripture verses duly recorded at the bottom of each notation. I don't need to tell you how spiritually enslaved that man was. But if he had wanted, Joseph could have kept a list of all his wrongs. It would have started with his father and his father's four wives and the manipulation that incited hatred of his brothers. Next on the list would have been his 10 brothers and their immoral and cruel ways, and then the Ishmaelites and the entire slave industry with its lack of care over the making of money on human souls and the corrupt Egyptian system that would never take the word of a slave over a noble woman. Next, Potiphar's wife, and after that, maybe the cruel prison itself. Finally, he could have been angry with God. Joseph could have kept a list and become an embittered man. Tom said, what Dr. John says makes so much sense and he's opened my understanding of the Bible. Thanks, Tom. Your words of encouragement mean more to us than you might know. This October, we're giving thanks to our Savior for His provision and blessing in the lives of our listeners. There's so much being accomplished through Dr. John Neufeld and the Back to the Bible Canada team. And recently, a group of ministry partners graciously provided a cumulative ministry pledge gift of $50,000. Now listen, this gift has allowed us to participate in a donation match where every dollar you give this month will be matched up to $50,000 allowing us to continue to change lives through the truth of God's Word. So to match your donation today, call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Or visit us at backtothebible.ca. I am convinced that in some ways, we're all like Joseph. The longer we live, the more circumstances we live through, the more hurt we endure. All of this 
has changed us from the idealism of youth to the cynicism of middle age and the bitterness of our waning years. Look into the faces of people and see the sadness and the pain. Against this, think about Jesus. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his son. You think that God was right to be bitter with the human race? Well, yes, he was, but he responds in love. Listen to how Jesus compels us in Matthew 4, verse 43 to 45. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. But how do we do that? How do we forgive those who have inflicted wounds and scars upon us? How does a person wrongfully fired at work forgive his boss? How does a child forgive parents or a man forgive his wife? And if forgiveness is not an option, but if it's essential, how do we take the black holes in our lives and make them into an oasis of God's love? Just how is that done? You know, in order to discover the answer, let's look at what happened to Joseph next. In the middle of his troubles, his life takes an unusual turn. Because of ability which God had given him to interpret dreams and, and because of the wisdom and the success that God gave him in everything he did, he was put in charge of regulating the agriculture in Egypt, the most powerful person in the land, answerable only to Pharaoh. God revealed it to him that Egypt was going to have seven years of a bumper crop followed by seven years of drought and famine. So people came from all over the Middle East to buy food in Egypt. And then it happened. It was while he was governor in Egypt that Joseph was suddenly confronted with the biggest crisis of his life. I'm reading Genesis 42, verses 6 to 8. Now, Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. See, what do you do when God gives you success even over all your enemies? See, many people have lived with high moral standards, but have failed the test of grace and forgiveness. You know, it was said of Muhammad that he was humble in defeat, but he was absolutely vicious in victory. What do you do when you're faced with the test of being victorious over your enemies? David faced that test when he found Saul sleeping in a cave. His men said, finally, God has given him into your hand. Go ahead and kill him. But David refused. He takes the position of grace. You know, years ago, when Alberta pastor Dale Lang lost his son due to a punk killing him in a school with a rifle, Lang immediately forgave that young man and bestowed grace on him. How do you get there? How can anyone be so filled with grace and mercy? How did Joseph do it? I've said it before, but let me say it again. Joseph's story is a manual on how to forgive those who have wounded us. It all happened while Joseph was overseeing the sale of grain in, in parts of the world that were ravaged by drought. One day, among the desperate who showed up to buy grain, Joseph looked up and standing right there were his 10 brothers, those good-for-nothings that had wanted to destroy him. Well, look how the tables have turned. You know, at first it would appear that Joseph is tormenting them. It looks like he's really exacting revenge, but he isn't. He's already forgiven them in his heart. And how did he do that? We're going to come to that answer when we get to Genesis 50, verse 20. But now he's facing them and he's interested in who they are and what they've become. 
Is reconciliation possible or is it not? So let's see what he does. Genesis 42, verses 9 to 10. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamt of them. And he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, No, my Lord. And in the course of his relentless interview of them, they reveal something significant. I'm reading verse 13. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. Ah, Joseph learns, I have a full brother, and no doubt he is now dad's favorite. And this is why he's at home. Dad would sacrifice the safety of the ten, but the youngest, the son of Rachel, well, he would keep him. Let's see what happens if I give them a chance to do to him what they did to me. He puts them in prison and gives them a chance to get out at the thought of betraying Benjamin as they have betrayed him. So I'm reading now chapter 42, verses 18 to 20. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your household and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Well, the boys go home and after much grief, Jacob, their father, agrees to allow Benjamin to go back to Egypt. But Joseph has a plan. He's going to betray Benjamin and imprison him for life and let the other ten go free. If they are what they were before, they're going to jump at this chance. Let's betray our dad's favorite. After all, we hate him. And you would think that that's exactly what they would do because so many years earlier, that's precisely what they did do to Joseph. And then just when you would think that they would abandon Benjamin and go home and carry on as before, something altogether remarkable happens. I'm reading Genesis 44, verses 27 to 29. Judah, one of the brothers that had betrayed Joseph, approaches the ruler of Egypt and gives a speech, and let's listen in. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. And let's move forward now to verses 32 to 34. For your servants became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servants remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father." And with that speech, Joseph begins to weep, and he tells his brother who he is, and he takes care of their needs, and he assures their safety in the famine and reconciles the entire family. And so, let me share two lessons necessary for forgiveness to lead to reconciliation. Here's the first. Give people a chance to change, and when they do, learn to recognize that. How long do you think those ten brothers remained hardened as they watched what their sins did to their dad? They were responsible, and the sorrow and the sadness in their home changed them. That was God in action, changing their lives. See, whenever we don't allow for someone to change, we assume that God is not at work. And here's the second principle. Trust in the sovereign plan of God. Do you know how Joseph really ended up in Egypt? Not ultimately because his brothers had cursed him. 
He had come to see that years earlier. Listen to what he says to his brothers. It's recorded in Genesis 50, verse 20. It's one of my favorite verses. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, Joseph knew that the suffering that came upon him was ultimately from the hand of God for a greater purpose. Yeah, his brothers did mean evil, but God intended something else. And once you and I recognize that God is not only sovereign, but that he is meticulously sovereign, we will come to see that even those terrible wounds that others have inflicted upon us are a part of his greater designs for a much greater purpose. Once we see that, and once we deeply internalize that truth, we are free to forgive those who have hurt us. And even if they have inflicted wounds on us, God, if we trust him, will always work out all things for our own good purposes. And for those who love God, for those who know that God is in control, for those of us who are not the enemies of God, but rather have been reconciled to God through the death of his son, for those of us who have come to recognize that God is God, we should always see that there has never been a moment, even in our most awesome and deeply felt hurts, there has never been a moment that God's loving hand was not using even that for greater purposes. Our enemies cannot succeed if we are constantly trusting in the Lord. May that be your life lesson from the life of Joseph. John, the whole issue of forgiveness is a huge one. You know, I've been talked to a number of times from people who say, is it really important to forgive? Do I need to forgive? Do I have to forgive? And we really have to allow ourselves to be under the control of God because I think sometimes we use unforgiveness almost as a weapon to those who've done something to us. Yeah, I think some of us believe that if we forgive someone that we're letting them get away with it. And we can't let that happen because that's only going to embolden these people to continue to be this way. So, you know, there's all sorts of ways in which we wind ourselves up into this tight ball of of bitterness and we justify it constantly to ourselves. I think what's missing in all of that is that that which has been done to us, as we learn from Genesis 50 verse 20, also is a part of God's sovereign plan, not to, to punish us, but often to give us something even greater if we have the eyes to see it. But in terms of those who wound us, we should not forget that God also governs in their lives and that there are things that happening that are happening to them in which God is ministering to them. So we should hope for grace, even as we have received grace. Amen. Thanks so much for being here again today. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Psalms of the Seasons is our 2020 Back to the Bible Canada scripture calendar. And it reminds us of so many things. It reminds us of the beauty and magnificence of this creation and the beauty of God's Word. A uniquely designed Bible reading plan by Dr. Neufeld is placed within the calendar, encouraging each of us to open up our Bibles every day. This is a practice and discipline critical to creating a steadfast foundation for faith. Use your calendar as a reminder to engage in the Bible every day and use the Bible reading plan to read through the Bible in 2020. This resource is filled with encouragement 
and it's yours for free. Simply request your copy today and perhaps consider a gracious gift to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. Either way, call us for your free calendar at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca.